This is VLX number 119, Let the Children Come to Me. We are in Matthew chapter 19, just verses 13 and 14 and 15. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina, the Patristic Bible Study and Ignatian Prayer Series Online. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris, Sefidit, Spiritu Sancti, Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, Sefidit, Spiritu Sancti, Amen. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Well, I want to remind you today, the reason we do Lexio Divina or Ignatian Mental Prayer, it's found in Jesus' own prayer the night before he died at the beginning of John 17. St. John wrote, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Okay, notice that just like we heard in a recent RCT from a saint, faith here on earth is not just the hope of eternal life, but it's actually the beginning of eternal life. Why? Because heaven is knowing the Trinity face to face, but we can begin that by knowing Christ already here on earth. Hence that amazing line from John 17 today, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that right there is the entire point of VLX and CPX, because if we know Jesus and his humanity, then we actually know Jesus and his divinity. And because Jesus is one substance, different person, but same substance as the Father, then by meditating on the humanity of Jesus, we come to know the very substance of the Blessed Trinity. And keep in mind, as we go today, children are actually really good at this. It's not because children are stupid uh, and, and we Catholic priests and you know evangelical Christians and, and uh, all the people that like to evangelize. It's not like uh, people go after these low-hanging fruit or targets. I think when people hear today's section, they think Jesus is telling us to be like children because children are stupid and easy to trick, trick into believing the gospel. But it's really the opposite. As, as you all know, um, the greatest scientists in the West have all come from Judaism and Catholicism. But I want you to keep in mind as we go that Father Lapide in today's section, he's going to point out that children have these four nouns, these four traits, humility, simplicity, candor, and innocence. That's Father Lapide's words. Now remember, simplicity and candor make you strong, not weak. Sin, it's sin that's the opposite of both of those. So as we delve into Matthew 19 today, as you listen, hear again that the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. And as you hear that, understand that we can't enter heaven without being like them in these four aspects. Humility, simplicity, candor, and innocence. Now, I'm a Catholic priest, so I very much believe we need canon law. But the reason I'm always ripping on people who always quote canon law ahead of the gospel is two reasons. One... Canon law is meant to be in service of the gospel, not vice versa. 
and also because it's easier to hide behind the law than it is to come to Jesus face to face with all of your sins. And like a child, just say, I'm sorry. No excuses, no games. Um, You know, we hear all these canon lawyers play all these games and loopholes all the time. Jesus wants our simplicity and he actually wants our sins because he can handle them. He died to give us life. But if we have loopholes and excuses, then he actually can't forgive us. Um, Just imagine if you had a child who did something bad. Would you rather that child come and simply apologize to you or give you this really complex explanation why he or she had to do it? Really, just think of your reaction on both. So again, as you listen, remember the nouns Father Lapide connects to children. Humility, simplicity, candor, and innocence. Remember, two sections ago, two VLXs ago, was on marriage, and then one VLX ago was on celibacy. Obviously, children come from marriage, but children are celibate. So keep that strength in mind, that strength that we see in the old school celibates and children. Keep that in mind as we remember that today's section is placed right between celibacy and poverty. Why do I say poverty? Well, we're going to see in the next VLX that rich young man who Jesus invites, not commands, He invites him to sell everything and follow Jesus. Now, remember, children have great physical needs, but they're relatively detached. Think of how many famous people grow up and say something like, yeah, growing up, we didn't know what we were missing. We had fun in poverty. Well, again, Matthew 19 goes from marriage and divorce to celibacy to children today to then in the next VLX, we're going to see that young man being invited to sell everything to follow Christ. Besides being historically true, that I think it actually went in that order, I believe there's an important reason that that childlike spirit is sandwiched right between celibacy and poverty. It has something kind of to do with that spirit of St. Francis of Assisi, that there's a strength in that level of simplicity. Okay, let's look at verse 13a today. I guess I've never really said A and B and C. A lot of times you can use A and B to indicate which part of the verse you're in. So, again, we're in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13a. And A means we're just going to look at the first half of verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Okay, now there's three verbs here. One, which the parents do. And then two, that the parents are asking Jesus to do. And so the first verb is prosnithisan. I'm reading the Greek here, so it's hard. Prosnithisan, and that comes from prosphero. Now the word phero is the verb to bear. And it's actually the root word of names like Christopher, which means one who bears or brings Christ to others. Well, that's what the parents do. They actually bring or bear their children to Christ physically today. That's why we have that root word coming from prospero there. But then they ask two verbs of Jesus. The first is epithē, and that means to place upon. You might hear that suffix epi. We have the exact same suffix in English like epidermis, which obviously means at the top layer. Again, Jesus' hands being laid on their heads, the top part of them, epidermis. And then the next verb they ask of Jesus is that he might pray for their children. And the infinitive here is prosenuxetai, prosuxetai rather. Now there's a lot of modern paintings and probably movies that have Jesus kind of just goofing around with children here, like he's just this hippie. Well, I'm sure he had a good sense of humor, but the parents... Look, they know his power and they're bringing him, they're bringing their children to Jesus for a blessing, not a game. And Father Lapide writes, why why are they asking for a blessing? 
This comes directly from Father Lapide, who gets all of his stuff from ancient Catholic sources, and he says, There was an ancient practice of the Hebrews in Genesis 48, where the patriarch Jacob, extending his arms in the form of a cross, blessed Ephraim and Manasseh, the two young sons of Joseph. Okay, right there, that's very interesting that the Jewish father blessed his sons by beginning and extending his arms as if he were on a cross. So right there, you have to wonder today, did Jesus do that, extend his arms at the beginning of this blessing, extend his arms in the form of a cross as he began to bless these children who came to him? Okay, now verse 13b. Again, A is the first half of a verse and B is the second half of a verse. Sometimes you'll actually see A, B, and C, but I'm just dividing it into B today. So again, Matthew 19, 13b. The disciples rebuked the people. Okay, now I think most people picture this as the disciples being mean. But the Greek word here is epitimison. Epitimison, which can also mean to admonish or to warn. So it was kind of like more of a come on than a stay away. Middle Easterners can give imperatives without shattering egos. Just spend time with Arabians or Palestinians, and you'll see they don't take things as personally as Americans. So all these American movies make these apostles out to be really mean at this moment. At least that's kind of the ethos we get uh from the Protestant upbringing that we all hear in this country, or rather we're surrounded with. Um, and so this isn't so much a stern, hey, take your wicked children away from the holy rabbi. Again, these movies about Jesus, even the Catholic ones, except the Passion of the Christ, they take on this Protestant ethos that really sees Jesus as awesome, which is true, they should, but the they see the apostles as doofuses. And in fact, these movies make Jesus out to be a hippie, which isn't so awesome, and then the apostles are really made to be these Pharisees. But it just wasn't that way. Now, of course, the apostles did get some of it wrong today. I'm not, I'm not saying we totally have that wrong the first time we read the Bible. Some of that's true. And it is absolutely true Jesus got it right, of course. He's God and they aren't. So he's always going to get it right. But just because, they sell, just because the disciples or apostles saw themselves as Jesus' bodyguard doesn't mean they were mean or obtuse. The rebuke of these families getting in Jesus' way this has to be seen in light of the Middle Eastern culture that you can still find today, um, that it was kind of more of this lighthearted, hey, come on now, the rabbi's got a bigger mission than your kids. Ah, but he didn't have a bigger mission than their kids. And this is where the apostles were wrong today. We will see that Jesus won't even have this lighthearted rebuke from his disciples to these kids because he does want these kids to come to him. So at this point, now picture the most clear day in Israel. And Jesus walking with the apostles surrounding him. Maybe they see themselves as his bodyguard, like I say, but he's God and he needs, needs no protection. They're all walking with joy and confidence, but not silliness or cockiness. They're walking with joy and confidence, but not silliness or cockiness. And it's this beautiful day in Israel, not a cloud in the sky. And imagine you're there. Imagine that you or your family hears Jesus is about to pass by and you and your family and the whole town go out to meet him. Now, I picture him as normal height, normal height of a man back then. The Catholic mystics actually say he was a bit taller. Uh, but his face is strangely normal and yet totally radiant. I see his body as skinny from eating so little his whole life, but his arms and chest and legs are strong from working as a carpenter and walking everywhere. And I picture him wearing this white robe Mary made him, the seamless garment. 
And if you have kids and you're doing the imaginative way, imagine putting them in the way where he can bless them on this on this pathway, this dirt pathway, wherever he's walking through this town. Um, and by the way, the reason I'm not a big fan of TV shows like The Chosen, well, first because their theology blasphemes Mary, but also I, I can't stand the fake accents. I mean, yeah, Jesus had a Galilean accent. We know that from the Bible. But that would be analogous for one of us to having an accent from like Iowa or Texas or New York, not a really bad foreign accent like we hear in The Chosen. Now, many Christians, including pretty normie Catholics, they say, but in The Chosen, Jesus is accessible and merciful, not stern. Well, guess what? I actually admit that's great. I'm glad it gets the humanity of Jesus right as merciful and not distant. Um, but The Chosen gets that part of the humanity of Christ correct. But any of you who've been with me for a while, doing mental prayer with Catholic eyes in a Catholic sense, seeing this through the eyes of the saints and the fathers, are going to understand um, Jesus' divinity. They're gonna, you're going to see Jesus' divinity, not just his humanity, if you're doing mental prayer the right way. And so the humanity, maybe the humanity of Jesus, the chosen, gets right, but the divinity's missing. That's my problem with it. Yeah, there's miracles. I'm, I'm not saying he's just totally flat social justice guy. There's miracles that he works in the chosen, but I very much think the divinity is missing. Um, I'm not saying Jesus always walked on water, but it's clearly a Protestant production, even if the guy who plays Christ is Catholic, a Catholic who promotes James Martin, by the way. Um, but I really can't stand the fake accents in the chosen. Really, just ask any Palestinian if they talk that way in English, and I'm sure you're going to get a big negative. But I am going to quote you now. This sounds like a weird shift for me. I am going to quote you another guy who played Jesus in what he realized in a scene when he played um, Christ coming to children in a actually different scene of the gospel, but it really plays in today. The guy's name is Marciano. And I think he's Protestant because it was in a Protestant movie, but the name's Italian, so maybe he's a Catholic. Now, a little quick diversion from my diversion. I know sometimes I make traditional Catholics nervous when I quote a non-Catholic. But I'm actually going to have a blog post come out called Don't Police Me When I Quote a Non-Catholic. Here's why you shouldn't worry. The main gist of it is this. St. Paul himself quoted a pagan prophet in Acts 17.23. That doesn't mean he says he is agreeing with everything the pagan prophet said. It's not saying he believes this pagan prophet is inspired. This is what we have in Acts 17.23. St. Paul says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So he's using even a pagan hunger for something as his launching point to the gospel. So if I quote you Jordan Peterson or something, that doesn't mean I'm saying I have the same belief as Jordan Peterson. You don't have to write me that Jordan Peterson isn't a good Christian or good Catholic. Um, and so I'll often put the word even in front of it, like, if even Jordan Peterson believes this, then so should you and me. Or if even Dennis Prager, a conservative Jewish man, believes this, then you doing advanced scripture studies should probably believe this. Even if Vatican II says this, then you should believe this. Even if the NIV Protestant notes say this, then so much more should you. That so much more is actually called an a fortiori argument. That is this, if even Jordan Peterson believes it before becoming Christian, so much the more should you. That's what a fortiori means. It's an argument meaning so much the more should you. So don't worry if I quote 
an Eastern Orthodox or an Evangelical or even a non-believer. It doesn't mean I'm in danger of stopping being a traditional Catholic. It's just that we can include all of this in a study because St. Paul did, essentially. Okay, so here's a guy who played Jesus in a movie. Different gospel passage from today, but very similar how Jesus saw children. And I do think it might help your Ignatian way of prayer. Marciano wrote, All during the shoot, tiny phrases from scriptures I'd read a thousand times would suddenly leap off the page as if I were seeing them for the very first time. One of those little phrases completely redesigned my perception of Jesus and the love he's dying, or should I say died, to give me. Most of us know the story. Jesus is doing his usual, pouring buckets of truth on the hungry hearts of ancient Judea. Suddenly a voice in the crowd belts out the $25,000 question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I can picture a Pharisee primping himself to receive his well-deserved honors, or maybe Peter clearing his throat from an impromptu, impromptu acceptance speech. I hear a rumble of hushed speculation flow through the crowd. Moses? Elijah? No, it's Jeremiah. And the buzz of anticipation, who will Rabboni choose? Who is the greatest? There's no way I can vouch for what anyone may have expected from Jesus in reply, but I guarantee it was nothing close to what they received. Their collective jaws must have dropped to the ground when Jesus turned, called a little boy to his side, and spoke a sentence that blasts centuries of stained glass sophistication right through the roof. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I remember noticing it when I was in L.A. preparing. It so struck me, I ran down to the local park to sit and watch. What I saw there, I'd seen countless times. But oh, what I learned, he wants me to come to him as one of these wide-eyed, dirty-faced, barefoot, open-hearted, with a hug, not a handshake, with a nuzzle, not a notebook, with a giggle, not a grovel, as a child. Okay, now I don't like that little dig on stained glass sophistication. Obviously, this is just a, a dig on Catholicism right there, where, as I always say, the saints actually had adult minds and children's hearts. So there is no contradiction between those two. It's actually these really grumpy people like Calvin and totally psychotic people like Luther who were thinking too much. So with all my blabbing, I don't expect you to remember all of this, but if something helps you meditate on the gospel, keep that, but especially keep that all day long. Another tip here on meditation is whether you're doing the cataphatic or the apophatic way, my proposal is this, just like oil in a car, meditate on what you get when you're with the Bible after you listen to this series. Meditate on that all day. This is how I see it. Gas is like charity. Really, charity is like gas in the engine and then your heart is like the engine and then maybe, maybe the wheels are mortification, but the oil is mental prayer. Um, because that has to be there to run all day. So if you get something really great in prayer, whether that's intellectual, the apophatic way, or you see something or hear something beautiful from Jesus or Mary, the cataphatic way, keep that in your heart all day. Don't just say, I did my 15 minutes, pat yourself on the back and go. All of us have lives to live. I don't think there's any monks listening to this whole thing, but you can become really holy if you bring that meditation through your whole day, whether that's driving, cooking, cleaning, even doing your rosary, you should be able to bring that meditation. Okay, so back to today's meditation. Here we have the parents. They're all coming out of their homes on this beautiful day in Israel just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And then imagine this. One of the parents has this idea, let's actually have the kids be blessed by, by Jesus. And again, they want this miracle-working rabbi to... Um, 
to bless their children. It's not they just want to get a snapshot of a hippie hanging out with kids. They want this miracle-working rabbi to bless their children. So imagine that radiant face of Jesus, so beautiful and yet so normal at the same time. His white garment, maybe there's a little bit of red or brown dirt at the bottom, but I see it as still amazingly um, white and amazingly fitting in this uh, skinny body of his, his strong body. And the disciples, these disciples of Jesus, they almost come tripping on these kids, not mad at them, but basically, hey, come on, kids, the, the rabbi's got places to go. So it's a firm Palestinian yelp, but it's not personal like it's kind of made to be in a lot of people's minds as Protestant Americans take it as like some shattering ego thing. It wasn't that. But they are wrong because Jesus actually does want to stop and see these children. So imagine that. Imagine if you're doing the imaginative way of prayer that Jesus is going to stop and bless your children. Even if you have grown adult children, picture them as very little kids. Um, In fact, if you're celibate, then you also have a special claim to this because you can picture yourself there. Listen to what St. Francis de Sales says. He says, the fact is this. This is also on a different gospel passage with children, but it ties in to what I mentioned earlier on celibacy. St. Francis de Sales says, the fact is this. Our Lord, seeing a little child one day, picked him up, kissed him, and showed him to the apostles, saying, I tell you solemnly, unless you become like this little child, you will never enter paradise. Matthew 18 and Mark 9. Many say that this child was St. Marshall, who later became the Bishop of Limoges, but the more common opinion is that it was St. Ignatius the Martyr, St. Ignatius of Antioch. Oh, how blessed was this glorious St. Ignatius, since he was taken up into our Lord's arms and given as an example to the apostles. How precious and sweet was that kiss. What sacred, secret words our Lord said to this happy child as he kissed him. How blessed he was to allow himself to be carried and handled by the Savior, who rewarded him by engraving his own sacred name in the depths of his heart. That was the Sermon on the Purification of Mary by St. Francis de Sales, Doctor of the Church. So notice there from the words of St. Ignatius, uh, or rather of St. Francis de Sales, notice that he's insisting that St. Ignatius of Antioch fulfilled this Theresian idea. St. Therese of Lisieux wasn't born yet, but... I'm going to combine the two of those, that there's this Theresian ideal of childlike trust, even as a martyr. You see, Christ never would have said such great things of St. Ignatius of Antioch if he had changed from being a total child the rest of his life into becoming a man. In other words, Christ would have known as God that that St. Ignatius of Antioch would keep that childlike attitude his whole life to give him the strength of martyrdom. These aren't opposed to each other. So remember, in some sense, kids are stronger and more sincere than adults. If you read the Roman Martyrology, it is astonishing how many 8, 9, 10-year-old kids undergo torture for Christ and the Catholic Church. In fact, the Catholic today knows that children actually are very justice-based. You heard me right. They're justice-based. G.K. Chesterton Chesterton has this great line. He says, For children are innocent and love justice, while most of us are wicked and naturally prefer mercy. So notice right there that the, the kind of the Protestant sense is that kids need mercy. But again, that Catholic sense knows that children are very justice-based. Again, G.K. Chesterton, for children are innocent and love justice, while most of us are wicked and naturally prefer mercy. Okay, so now we go back to where we left off. These disciples, they rebuke these families, get in the way of Christ on the road, because as Father Labide says, quote, 
They thought Christ was occupied with more important matters, such as instructing men, and that he must not be called off to attend to little children who did not have the use of reason. It was unworthy of so it was unworthy of so great a prophet to busy himself by children. So again, this isn't some personal rebuke. It's just they're kind of Jesus' bodyguards and they think they know where Jesus needs to go. It's not a harsh rebuke, but they are wrong. Okay, so Jesus actually wants to stop and see these children. And again, imagine seeing this if you're doing the imaginative way of prayer, that Jesus is going to stop and bless your specific children. Uh, or if you're single, that he is going to take you up in his arms. Imagine the strength he would give you, that, that strength that he gave to Ignatius of Antioch lasted his whole life to go and die for Christ. And then, by the way, how old were these children? Well, the same section in Luke uses the Greek word brephi, which is less than seven years old, according to Father Lapide. Okay, and then verse 14 and 15 combined. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now that Greek word for allow is afite. We hear suffer the little children in the Dewey Rhymes, but the Greek is afite, defined as to let go, release, permit to depart, to remit, forgive, to permit, to suffer. But I really like those first two on the definitions. Jesus is telling the apostles to let go, release, permit to depart these children that want to come to me, and I want them to come to me. And then he has this other imperative verb in there, to the apostles, with a negation in front of it. And negation in the Greek is the word me or me. And so Christ says, me koluete. Well, the word koluo means I hinder, I prevent. So combine that, me koluete, that is the negation with the second person plural imperative, and it means stop hindering these kids from coming to me. So imagine the surprise in the hearts and the minds of the disciples at this, mo at this moment. But again, it's not because children are stupid and silly that Christ wants to see them. Let's see what Father Lapide and the fathers say about children here. Victor of Antioch says, The mind of a child is pure and free from all vicious passions. Whenever a little child experiences sadness or is harmed by anyone, it does not remember the injury nor think of revenge, but rather, as though it had undergone nothing unpleasant, it will spontaneously approach as a friend, the one who did the harm. Moreover, it's never moved or grieved at the loss of those things, which we make so great account, like money or jewels and the like. Lastly, a child is not carried away by corporal, corporal beauty as other human beings are. Therefore, the Lord said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. Assuredly, by them does he admonish us that we should do no such things by the firm choice of our will, which little children do by natural endowment. And then he actually explains this, how like if a child severely chastised by its mother, it will run to her before anyone else and is attached to her more than anyone any other woman. And if you should show such a child a queen adorned with a diadem, in no way would it prefer her to its mother clothed in rags. It's not comparing Jesus or Mary to a bad parent. What it's saying, though, is a child's loyalty to who's in its heart is greater than anything in the exterior world. That's what Father Lapide is trying to say here. He continues, Thus Christ chose and blessed, when they were children, St. Edmund, afterwards Archbishop of Canterbury, St. Nicholas, St. Catherine of Siena, and other eminent saints. In other words, what Father Lapide is saying is there are certain saints that Christ appeared to them visually and in locutions, even as very little children to claim their hearts and minds entirely as their own in private revelations. When Gelasius was a boy, he found his little brother, St. Ophelius, pray praying in his chamber and a multitude of angels talking with him. 
He saw them with his own eyes and heard a voice saying, Suffer the little children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And then Father Lapide points out, Morally, learn from this with what care children ought to be brought up, instructed, and catechized, that they may remain pure. For the newly made jar long preserves the savor of what it first contains. And then Father Lapide Jesuit himself points to the many serious and useful reasons why the Society of Jesus is devoted to schools and the instruction of youth. He's pointing back to the days that the Jesuits were concerned with the evangelization of children, not their harm. And then Father Lapide is saying, It is as though Christ were saying, It is not beneath my dignity to bless young children, because through my blessing they are made fit for the kingdom of heaven, while you, O you adult Jews, who have so often heard me teaching, are unfitted for it on account of your pride and your other vices by which you've become callous. Therefore I decree that in order to become fit, you must imitate these little ones. So again, there we have it. The Jews were callous in their holding to the law, where Christ wants to, us to come to him full of faith, hope, and charity. Not canon law games, not excuses. He, he can take care of our sins. He died for them. So we can come to him in total trust that he will love us, forgive us, and transform us. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Santi, descendet super vos et mani et semper. Amen. <laughs>